This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Jackie Clement, uh, Executive Director of the Fair Media Council, which advocates for quality news and works to create a media savvy, and I love that phrase, media savvy society in a media-driven world. She's hosted events and sat toe-to-toe with journalistic titans, including Dan Rather, Bob Woodruff, Helen Thomas, and Maggie Haberman. And more recently, the Fair Media Council has pivoted to bringing all of the events and the information that they offer to the world uh, via video conference through their fast chat series. And I know there's a lot more that Jackie is working on. Jackie is also a good friend and a neighbor here on Long Island. So Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that great intro. Well, it's, it's well-deserved. I could go on and on. You and I have known each other a very long time. Far, well, far too long. Don't, don't <laughs> say the number. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but but you, you play, I wanted to have you on because you play, I think, such a critical and unique role in the media landscape, both regionally here on Long Island, Long Island uh, in the New York City area, and I really think in the country too, at least Dan Rather has given you that credit, and he's totally right, saying that there should be a fair media council in every, every town and city across the United States. Um, well, we're, we're working on that, we're working on that. So tell us a little bit about, in your words, what the Fair Media Council does, and, and why you feel its work is so important. Well, um, first of all, thank you for being a supporter of it. Um, Our work is actually unlike any organization in the country, and that was really purposeful. I mean, historically, our mission has always been about advocating for quality news, and that is becoming more and more important as technologies converge media, and people no longer know where their news is coming from, you know, is the basic synopsis of where we are today. It's the other part of our mission, though, that is really starting to tap the pulse of the public, which is creating educated news consumers. And we like to say media savvy people. Um, But that part is really um, starting to take off now that people are really throwing up their hands and saying, I don't know who to believe. I don't know where to turn to anymore. So what we do is actually, it's exclusive. It's designed to fill holes in um, the void that people feel like they're stuck in right now. And we're trying to be that resource that people they can turn to where we don't have any kind of bias or agenda. We just want people to be able to navigate the news landscape with ease and find the information they need to live better lives and run more competitive businesses. And in that regard, we are completely unusual. Um, So that's our strength. The weakness that comes with that though is people don't know what box to put us in when they first meet us because, you know, people like to label things and categorize things easily. Um, And when you're a little bit different, it takes people a little while to understand what you're about. Um, But our pivot now to doing things more virtually as opposed to in-person events Uh, I think is really going to fast track a lot of what we do and introduce us to a lot of new audiences. So in the long run, it'll be good. Um, Short term, 
Uh, it's a lot of running around and trying to figure out what we can do and what we should do and how we can help the public the best. Yeah, there's, there is so much that we can talk about here and a lot to unpack in, in what you just said. Um, let's just start with your core work, uh, mm -hmm. what you do with the Fair Media Council. What role do you think the, that a, fair, a free and fair press plays in our society? And is our media, is our press still free and fair? And I think of that as, you know, free, a lot of times, you know, news, you got to pay for news and you should pay for news, whether it's buying a newspaper, subscribing to, a, uh, to something digitally. And fair, you know, we talk a lot about human biases versus journalistic objectivity and sort of balancing those two. Do we still have a free and fair press in our country? Okay, so those are easy questions. Thank you so much for asking. Um, <laughs> let's see. Okay, going back to the, the first part of your question, you know, journalism is directly tied to the strength of America. You know, it's fundamental to the American society. Our existence is what we know as America. Um, and I do believe that you'll find a direct correlation between when your news is weak to when the country is weak. And we know news has gone through a better time. Um, right now, the business side of the industry is really weak. You know, advertising um, has changed dramatically. The business model for news is changing dramatically. Um, so in the short term, they're relying on uh, subscriptions and memberships um, to fund newsrooms in, with money that used to come from straight up advertising. So that right now is still up in the air as to how all that works and whether or not it's sustainable. Um, but the offshoot for the public is less and less news is free because they want you to pay for the subscriptions to, in order to enable the news to continue. Um, and I've got mixed views on that. One, because really important news, news that you need to know, things that impact the public safety, say major weather event coming up. You know, you can't expect people to pay a fee in order to find out information like that. So really pertinent news um, that impacts your safety. Generally, news outlets will drop those paywalls and make them available to, to the public for free. The problem, though, is when people know something has a paywall, they're less likely to go there to find that free information. Um, so, so there is this strange dichotomy going on with what the purpose of news is and how we support news today. Um, and, and there's always been a historical conversation that goes on saying, you know, no matter what you have to pay for news, if it was a quarter, you know, a hundred years ago that you plopped down for, to pick up a newspaper, the mere fact you paid a quarter created a have and have not situation of people that remain informed versus people that can't afford to be informed. Uh, so the conversation is still alive and well in this digital age and it's becoming more and more complicated. Um, so part of, part of the whole um, rush to turn people into subscribers and in some cases organizations ask for memberships where they're trying to do events and, and other special things to, to bring in revenue. Um, the problem there is the advertising component has always been the major driver behind the revenue that supports these organizations. And without that, you're not going to be able to prosper 
um, the way they have been. They're not going to be able to offer the big packages of investigative reporting, the kind of news that's expensive to do, but is super important for the public to know. Um, they need to find a way to replace advertising. That money is, is still elusive, and whatever that becomes um, is, is really the golden nugget that they need to know, because subscription base alone has always been part of the formula, but it was never the major component of the formula. So there has to be something more than just subscription. Yeah, I, I mean, just personally, I'm a big believer in, in content, right, in good content. People will pay for stuff that they value. Um, but the, but it, there's this weird um, dichotomy in news in that people you know, fall back on these phrases, and that's why I asked the question the way I did, the free and fair press. Free yeah. doesn't mean like you don't have to plunk down a quarter for it, right, even though you should. Right. Free, free means you're free to operate in the way – um, that you need to operate and fair going back to that bias versus uh, human bias versus journalistic objectivity. And it gives rise to this whole thing that we've talked about the last three and a half years um, about fake news and what people okay. think fake news is. Right. And I think if yeah. you probably get a different definition of what fake news is, depending on who you ask, in your opinion, what is fake news? I certainly have my opinion, but I want to hear yours. What is fake <laughs> news? Uh, my purest opinion on fake news or definition would be simply something that didn't happen at all. Okay. Um, could be a fantasy, could be, I would liken it more to fiction than, than I would news. Um, but what we've seen happen in news in general in recent years, getting back to the free and fair argument is, um, you know, is, is there still a free press in America? Yes. However, what's happened is there's no longer an entry to barrier um, in the news media. So what that means is anyone with an internet connection can now call themselves a news outlet. That means they don't have to be trained. They don't have to be educated on a topic. All they need is an opinion and something to plug into the wall that informs the world. Um, and, and that's both a good and a bad thing. You know, we, we want to say that everyone has a voice and everyone has a right to express themselves. The fall down on that is it's implied that the person has an educated opinion or they have substantiated facts, which is not always the case. And what we're seeing now is because everyone has the ability to be heard in the public domain, we're hearing a lot of information and, and seeing a lot of information out there that isn't being put out by actual news outlets that as we would historically define a news outlet. Um, but the people don't know that. And that's leading to a lot of confusion. And it makes it harder to find um, what I would call real news. You think there's also a problem with, uh, I mean, we, we have even though we have shrinking newsrooms and we have shrinking number of news outlets, we have, I guess what I'll call our louder outlets now, right? And there's, yeah. what I've seen is this problem with opinion masquerading or being interpreted as news. Just because there's a person sitting behind the desk and they're telling you something in an authoritative way on TV doesn't mean that that's news. I guess in the same way that SNL spoofs the news you know, in their segment every week. I mean, that's not yeah. news. It's a parody. And even, even, you know, The Daily Show and other shows that, that use that, uh, that gimmick 
of the person sitting behind the desk masquerading as the the news anchor that's right. not news even though some of those shows are more informative than some that <laughs> tend to actually be news. Would you agree? <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately that does happen. Um, but some of the changes that have happened in news in general, well, you know, let's break it down to the fundamentals. First of all, we know more people watch news than read news, um, which is a problem to begin with. Um, you know, reading news uh, has a couple of pluses to it in that News articles that you read tend to explain the why of what's happening, where television news is really designed to give you an update, and it's almost assumed that you read the article. So you, you're not going to get a whole lot of background or substance with what's happening over the air that you get in the print. Um, but that's always been an issue where the bulk of America gets its news from broadcasters, um, and, they're, and they're missing out on important information. The other part of it is, yeah, you, you have, um, you know, a whole lot of different things going on that you may consider to be news, but, you know, satire is the daily show. What's happening on cable is different than what an over-the-air channel um, can bring you, but people don't recognize the difference there. They just have a, re a remote control, and they go from channel to channel, and they don't know that there's different categories of news that they're, they're watching. Um, you have the rise of talk, which is incredibly popular with people, both talk radio and talk television, which is people sitting around giving opinions, but they're sitting behind a desk so people think they're delivering them news, when in actuality it is all opinionated. It can be as biased as they want it to be. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is the public doesn't know how to recognize that because it looks a lot like a regular news show. Um, and then there have been trends that have impacted the news, which uh, one in particular is the morphing of straight news to include opinion, which I kind of blame on the Brits because there was a British invasion of news um, back in, I'm going to say, late 80s, early 90s, uh, where it's more popular in the UK for their news to include opinions than it was historically in America. But you, you had a lot of buying and selling of news outlets, and the British influence um, gave us the opinion mixed in with the news so that now it's commonplace. But older people, and when I say older, I'm going to say older Gen Xers, and baby boomers, um, they remember a different type of news than what millennials and the younger generation now know. Yeah, um, I, I strongly agree with you there. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear people talk about fake news. Um, and, and I think the, the common misconception that they have is um, they, they brand something as fake if they don't agree with it. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and there springs the, the, the uh, most malign phrase of all time, which makes, which sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me, alternate facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just can't even wrap my brain around that phrase. Um, no, but, you know, all this that we're talking about is a perfect segue into what you do back into what you do with Fair Media Council and sort of educating people on how to evaluate news and how to become, as you so smartly put it, media savvy. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what people can do to maybe evaluate their news or figure out 
you know, what that thing is that they're looking at, whether that's news or whether that's opinion or whether that's something in between? Okay, sure. I think, um, you know, the basic um, guideline we have here with everything we're talking about and all the questions you're bringing up, you know, honestly, it all comes down to education and improving the education system in America. Because what we have here is if we look at the numbers, um, college graduates today, one out of two can't distinguish between fact or opinion. So if they can't make that determination, it is incredibly hard for them to be able to navigate today's media landscape. Okay, so the first thing is laying out whether you're reading a newspaper or looking at something online, for the most part, you're going to find things are labeled, okay? Um, a newspaper has different sections. You will find news, you will find opinion, or you'll find op-eds, you'll find editorials. And anything uh, in those categories, op-eds, editorials, opinion, uh, even a column are opinion-driven. Those aren't solid news articles as you would think of them as being just unbiased, factual, this is what happened, okay? Um, when, it, when it comes to watching television, you know, people like to turn on the television and leave it on as background. They seldom even know what they're watching. Um, but the 24-hour cable channels in particular, I mean, if you, if you look at Fox News, when I go down their, um, their own table of contents for what they're offering, you know, for what hour of shows, um, the last time I looked, it was about 16 hours of talk filling up their agenda um, as opposed to news. So, you know, a lot of people like to make fun of Fox News as being the faux news. Um, but what it is, is it's talk shows. You know, people think 24-hour cable channels are all news. They're not. They air things like documentaries. They can have food shows on there. Um, it doesn't mean it's straight news. So people really need to start paying attention to labels and categories and really understanding what those mean. Um, and really become discriminating about where they're turning for for their news, as well as making sure they incorporate news from a lot of different places so that they're getting a balance of what's happening in the world today. And probably no more important time to be doing all that with the election coming up. And again, we're not going to get political here, uh, other than to say, please go vote. <laughs> but what is, but <laughs> yeah, what I is agree with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, very taking that obligation very seriously, that duty very seriously, what do you think the role of news outlets is in these coming days of in properly informing the electorate uh, as to what the candidates are saying, doing? You know, there, there, there is a bit of an analysis that needs to happen over the next couple of months. Um, with everything that will be said and done and announced and promised. Um, what role do, do, uh, do news organizations play in this really critical time in our country? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we, we really need a strong news media right now, maybe more than ever, we, we could probably argue. Um, but we know the news media has been weakened um, because of the budget issues that we talked about earlier. We know there are, are um, places that need more journalists working rather than less. 
and really one of the things we learned from the last election is how critical your local news is and particularly your local newspapers uh, people really should be honing in more on what's happening hyper locally um, paying attention to that news to see how national issues are actually impacting their own backyards um, you know local newspapers if you look at information about them throughout the country, you'll see plenty of news articles talking about how local news on that level is drying up. But it blows a hole in the news ecosystem because it's that level of news that national um, news organizations look to, to be able to understand how things actually impact people in their homes and if, in, in their communities. So I think one of the biggest mistakes that happens is when you have an election or something happening on a national level that's a huge event, people only tune into the national news outlets when what they need to be doing is looking much closer to home to be able to get a better understanding of how all of this actually impacts them. Uh, a huge group of people that are at least being targeted in this upcoming election are younger voters. Um, and part of what you do with Fair Media Council is to help uh, recognize and guide the journalists of tomorrow. I'm thinking specifically mm -hmm. about um, uh, the Folio Awards and the categories you have for college journalists. Um, what, what should young people be, um, be doing or thinking about when they approach news, or even for the, the people who aspire to be the, the news uh, people of tomorrow? Um, what advice do you give to them um, to uh, either inspire them to get into the field or to even sort of, um, I'll say warn them. <laughs> I've done my fair share of <laughs> warning people about to getting into news, you know, too wide-eyed. Uh, it's a tough business. And it's, as we've said here, and, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a business with less and less reward uh, yeah. tied to it. Um, what do you say to young people who are interested in getting in the news business? Well, actually, I, I think there is a real misconception and people not realizing that the skill set you need to be a good journalist is transferable to business. Um, you know, a good journalist asks questions. They're always inquisitive. They're, they're trying to get to the bottom of something, which if I look at that from a business perspective, you know, the people that are the most valued in a business are the ones who can find the information, figure out what's going wrong, and then troubleshoot it. Um, journalists also have the ability to, you know, write a decent memo, which so many businesses are in need of today, um, in order to convey a thought and, and be able to spur action so that businesses can be successful. Um, so I think there's a whole lot you can do with a journalism background that's not just related to journalism itself. So that's part of it. Um, but the bigger part is, you know, what we need from journalists now and going forward, you know, let's learn from our mistakes of where we are. We need journalists that are well-educated. We need them to understand history. Um, we, we need them to understand science and health. I mean, that's going to be a huge issue going forward. Um, the health of this country, um, we, we need them to understand uh, bioterrorism and things of that sort in order for us to have a working press that people can rely on and people can trust again. And what, what I really see happening with the future is kind of going back to the old roots of having beat reporters who 
understand an issue entirely so that they can conduct educated interviews with people as opposed to throwing a general assignment reporter, you know, who yesterday covered a shooting in the street and today they're supposed to be covering a health issue. They don't know the background. So you get a lot of information today, but it's not valuable information because it's top line, it's homogenized, it's a lot of generalizations. People don't know what to do with that. Um, so the better educated we, uh, our journalists are, the better we're all off being in the long run. Um, so all of it really comes down to education. And it comes back to the importance of, a, of an organization like yours, Jackie. Tell us a little bit more about what the Fair Media Council is doing in the very near future um, so people can get involved. Oh, thank you. Um, well, as you mentioned, we're pivoting so that a lot of the events and programs that we used to do in person in the New York area, we're, we're putting those online and we're working on creating um, new projects that only work online so that people anywhere can access them. Um, one of our newest events that we're doing is we're calling them Fast Chats. They're podcasts. Um, you can view or watch or, or just listen to them. Um, and they are the quick 30-minute conversations with notables in news, media, and business who have something topical to say. Um, we like to think they're relevant conversations in that we're taking people behind the scenes and introducing them to more information about a topic than they would otherwise have access to. But really what drives Fast Chat is it's an ability for the people who are the listeners to ask questions that they, they can pose questions to whoever the speaker is. And we're kind of the medium to make sure they get their questions answered. So in a way, even though it's virtual, it's a way for them to connect with people that they may not otherwise have the ability to talk with or in any other um, avenue come in contact with these people and really share knowledge and get answers to questions that if they have a question, then obviously they're not the only one who has that question. There are other people thinking the same thing. So that's the kind of thing we want to get across with Fast Chat is it is a conversation, but it's a conversation that's devoted to being an open dialogue and getting the public's questions out there so that they can finally get answers to things that aren't being answered. Um, so we do that. We, we do our awards program, which is morphing into a virtual setting this year too. Um, and the awards program, it's open to journalists on the hyper-local, regional, and national levels. But the cool thing about the Folio Awards is they're judged by what we call educated news consumers. We give um, the people a scorecard. We walk them through the elements that they need to know to be able to judge a news story critically, um, what they should look for in terms of a fair and balanced news article. And more importantly, they as the public, whether or not this is news that they think they want and need in their lives, which is an element of news that isn't always discussed inside a newsroom. You know, people get so busy following a story or chasing after a story, they, they seldom stop and say, well, who the heck cares about this story other than me? Um, 
So in that regard, Folio is completely unlike any other program in the country. So we recognize and we applaud quality news, but we also work in the ability to educate the public to become educated news consumers. And we do that all in that one program. Yeah, you, your events are absolutely top notch. I've actually called them can't miss events. Uh, Thank and it's you. the truth because they're, they're just really terrific. And um, I urge everyone um, to get involved in some kind of a fair media council event because you, you will not regret it and you will go back for more. Um, Jackie, let, let everybody know how they can get involved in your events, where they can find you online and how they can uh, get involved. Sure. Uh, well, it's easy to find us online at fairmediacouncil.org. Uh, if anyone has any questions, you can reach out to me directly. I'm at Jackie at fairmediacouncil.org. I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, we are a membership-based organization, so we look for businesses and nonprofits as well as individuals to become members. We look for sponsors, you know, underwriters for our newsletter. There's a whole mess of ways people can get involved and get active. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so I do like to ask people, you know, to make me one of your favorite tax deductions. We're more than happy to become that. Um, but when you support us, you, you really support, um, you know, progress in terms of furthering people's knowledge and furthering your community to be able to make educated decisions. And that's really what everything comes down to. Jackie, thank you so much for your time. This has been a terrific conversation. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, spread the word about our show, and we'll talk to you next time on the PR Podcast. Mm -hmm.